theyeshiva.net. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to one and all. Everyone who's joining us here virtually, thank you. We're thrilled to have you. And uh, I hope and pray that this day and Shabbos and the subsequent days bring only healing and happy news and good news and recovery to all of uh, our people and to all good people in the whole world. And I want to thank especially the team that uh, puts all of this technology together because uh, it's not my uh, forte. I want to thank very much uh, our uh, uh, programmer, <coughs> excuse me, Rebbe Fall Hausman, who set this up, and Rebbe Nuchen Fried, whom you all know, or many of you know, the Zoom people know, and Rebbe Shmuel Silver, and uh, <coughs> our entire team who dedicated so much time and effort and energy to make this as uh, smooth as possible, with as uh, a few glitches as possible, and uh, in a pretty short time, uh, transformed our experience according to the necessities of the present situation. So, thank you, Reb Rafal. <coughs> thank you, Reb Nochem. Thank you, Reb Shmuel. Thank you, Reb Moshe Zev, for the meditations. And thank you, everybody, for uh, being you and for being here and for showing up. <coughs> I was listening to one of my boys telling another boy how uh, they have, you know, class through Zoom. The, the schools continued through Zoom. <laughs> See? <laughs> See, he's telling him, you know, it's very good Zoom because it's very easy to ditch, to ditch class. So uh, it's really wonderful. Whenever you want, you can get up, you can leave. They don't know if you're there, you're not there. You remove your picture, you remove your video. So uh, he said it's a very convenient way of uh, going to school. So uh, everybody, uh, as the airlines like to say when they land, you know, we knew that you had a lot of options and you chose us. So we're very grateful. We knew that you have a lot of options this morning. WhatsApp offers many, 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 many options and clips that almost border on infinity, if there was such a thing. And uh, you chose to come here and learn Torah. So... uh, we're all grateful and welcome to all of you. Okay, I'm going to ask you today to take out a Chumash Shmois. This is going to be important. I want to take out, if you could all take out a Chumash Shmois and go to Parshish Mishpatim, because I want to learn with you a few psukim. And I'm going to wait uh, 30 seconds until you get your Parshish Shmois. And please turn to Parshish Mishpatim 2. Perik Chaf Aleph, Pasuk Zion. Perik Chaf Aleph, Pasuk Zion, which is Exodus chapter 21, verse 7. So again, open up a Sefer Shmois, go to Parshas Meshpatim, and you're looking for Perik Chaf Aleph, Pasuk Zion, chapter 21, verse 7. Bli Neder, on the source sheets, we will post these sources as well, okay? You should 
be encountering the Pasuk, V'chiyim ish es la'ama. I'll say it once more. Sefer Shmois, Parshas Mishpatim, Exodus 21, verse 7. Perik Chaf Aleph, Pasuk Zion. It's close to the beginning of Parshas Mishpatim. I'm going to read with you a few psukim. We're going to learn a little Chumash today, because this will show us how everything comes together. Let's read inside. Join me. By the way, everybody can ask your questions. You could text them to 845-777-4747. 845-777-4747. If you want a shout out that you woke up early and you're here, please text your name. And if you want your age, first name, last name, and we could give you a shout out. That's what we did with the children. So if the inner child wants a shout out, that's fine. Everybody is welcome to ask your questions. Text them to 845-777-4747. Let's see insight. If a man sells his daughter as a maid servant, she should not go out like male slaves go out. Now, what does this Pasuk do when you read it? Without any preconceived notions, what are you reading here? A father comes and takes his daughter and sells her for money as a slave woman, as a slave girl, right? And the Torah says, I don't want her to go out like slaves go out. Hmm. This is not a posik that makes you very comfortable in 2020. Tati selling his daughter. Imagine if you sold your daughter as a slave and you made, let's say, $300,000 on a good day. She doesn't go out like the slaves go out. She does not. Next, next, next. If she is evil in the eyes of her master, or she's bad, or she's unappealing, he did not marry her. He did not marry her. He must liberate her, or help her become liberated. Nor does he have the right and the authority to sell her to an alien nation. He can't sell her to anybody else. He can't sell her to any other people, any other household, any other community, any other family. You know why? Because he betrayed her. Okay. So now suddenly... If he doesn't like her, so he's not marrying her. So he bought her to marry her. And if he doesn't, he has to help her leave. He can't sell her to anybody else, even though he owns her, because he betrayed her. He's a traitor. Boget, one second. He didn't tra- betray her. He bought her. You gave the father a right to sell his daughter. He paid full cash. He bought her. Where did he betray her? He, nobody betrayed her. Maybe the religion betrayed her. Maybe the Torah betrayed her, if you believe that. He didn't betray her. He was following the rules. Good question. Good question. If he marries her to her son, okay, this is getting better. He should do with her according to the rule of the girls. If he takes another wife, he should not diminish her food, 
her clothes and her intimacy. If he doesn't do any of these three things, any of these three things, what are these three things? It seems like, it seems like he didn't marry her, his son didn't marry her, and didn't, he didn't help her go out. She just goes out for free without money. Wait, wait. <laughs> her father got money, he sold her. This guy didn't marry her, his son didn't marry her, he didn't liberate her, she just goes out free without money. This is the end of the parsha. That's it. Just a few psukim. Pasuk Zion through Pasuk Yeralov. That's Zion Ches Tes Yud five verses. What are we to make of this? How are we to understand this? How would you explain this to somebody who's now introduced to Judaism for the first time? You know, one of the advantages of doing work with people who don't live in your community and lifestyle is that it gets you to have a much deeper appreciation of Judaism. Because somebody who just grew up in yeshiva, you read these psukim every year, Parshas Mishpatim, first of all, let's hope you read them. Even if you do read them, let's hope you're listening. Even if you are listening, let's hope you're understanding. Even if you are understanding, it's like, yeah, of course, you know, why not? But somebody who didn't grow up with this, when they read it for the first time, it's queasy. It may even be creepy. It may even seem so, so archaic and primitive and oppressive and really, really very, very insensitive, to put it mildly. And it challenges you or challenges me to really go deeper and ask yourself some fundamental questions, which is why in our generation especially, it is so rewarding and beneficial on a thousand different levels to be involved in the work which we call communicating Yiddishkeit to people outside of your immediate community. Whatever type of way you do it, but it's, I believe, vital for every Torah-observant Jew to be involved in this work in one way or another. It could be a chavrusa once a week on the phone. It could be inviting people for Shabbos, guests, or another thousand different ways. But it's crucial for everybody because it changes your own Yiddishkeit in a very, very positive way. Of course, if you come back to learn, if you, if, if you challenge yourself. How do we understand this? How are we supposed to understand this? Okay. We know in Parshas Mishpatim and Parshas Bahar and Parshas Re'eh that there are another two types of slaves. It says, There's an Evid Knani and an Evid Ivri. All discussed in a very cohesive way in Rambam, Mishnah Torah, Hilchis Avadim. Let's discuss first those two slaves very briefly. Evid Knani is a slave who is not Jewish, and a Jew buys him. Of course, this is during the eras and centuries and millennia when slavery was part of human life. So a Jew buys an Evet Kneini, a, 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 a guy, a Gentile, he buys him. And when he purchases him, he becomes now part of the Jewish household and the Jewish family. He's not Jewish. But if the Jew wants to keep him, if the Jew wants to keep him, I mean, you could try him out, but if the Jew wants to keep him, he has to go through some form of conversion and he becomes semi-Jewish. What does it mean he becomes semi-Jewish? He's mechoyev in all the mitzvahs that a woman is mechoyev, which means all the loisasa, he can't eat treif, he can't eat on Yom Kippur, he can't violate Shabbos, but he's not obligated 
in all of the mitzvahs that are time-bound that women are mechoyev. Whether it's davening, kriyashma, svira sa'aymer, sukkah, shayfer, lulav, uh, all these types of mitzvahs which women are exempt from, he's also exempt. It's called an evet knayni. Once, yeah, if the evet knayni goes free, the evet knayni goes free, then he becomes a full Jew. But as long as he's in a state of servitude, he's Jewish, but it's called semi-Jewish. Now, <coughs> that's David Knaini. There's an Evid Ivri. Evid Ivri means you Pashat bought a Jew as a slave. But a Jew is not allowed to sell himself as a slave. How do you buy a Jew as a slave? Only two conditions. Condition number one is the guy is broke and the halacha says that he doesn't even have a shirt to wear. He Pashat does not have what to put on in the morning. He would walk out without clothes. He is so desperate, he sells himself. He gets, let's say, $200,000, he could live, he could support his wife, he could support his children. And it's a six-year lease. After six years, he goes out. That's called an evidivri. That's a second type of slave. This is a Jewish slave. Another option is if he stole money. He comes into your house, he stole it, and he doesn't have to pay, he doesn't, he doesn't have a way to pay back. He doesn't have real estate, he doesn't have money in the bank, he has no, uh, no uh, assets that you could take and pay the debt. So then the court can sell him as a slave and he could use part of that money to pay up his, to pay up the, the, the theft, to pay up the theft, and he's rehabilitated. He's not put in jail. There's no punishment of jail in Yiddishkeit. You know that? It's very interesting. There's death, death penalty, unique, but there is. Murder and a few other things. There is, there are lashes, very, very hard to get, but there is. There's, of course, a sacrifice, a carbon. There is monetary payment. And there is one situation where you're sold and you go to a house, a civil house, where you're emotionally part of a family. That's what you do with a thief. They don't put him in prison. They put him in a Erlich Yiddish Shtub that is Balabatish, that is comfortable. It's a fascinating idea. Rav Hirsch writes this. Rav Shimshin Rav Hirsch writes this. You don't put him in prison. What happens in prison? Prison... Prison is prison. You put him in a house, in a house that can pay money, and he works, and he's part of the house, and he's a regular Jew. And you got to support his wife wife and kids for six years too. If he wants, let's say he's living alone, he wants, he's not married, he could stay there for 50 years. You have to pierce his ear, he could stay for 50 years. It's not encouraged, but he could. That's an Eved Ivri. Eved Ivri. The halach with an Eved Ivri is... You have to treat him equal to your children. Not only that, he comes first. If there's one coat at night, if there's one blanket, he gets it. One piece of chicken, he gets it. One last piece of sushi. There's only one piece of sushi left. Who gets it? Not you, not your wife, not your children. Your slave, your servant. That's what the Gemara says in Kiddushin, Daf Yadalad. Some of you learned Kiddushin. Hakoina Eved Ivri, Kikoina Oden La'atzma. If you buy a Jewish slave, it's like you bought a master. You didn't buy a slave, you bought a boss. It's like hiring a Jewish employee. You didn't hire an employee, you you hired somebody to take over the business. (laughs) Now, now, I'm going to read to you a halacha from Rambam. Rambam Hilchis Avadim. Rambam, Mishnah Torah Rambam, Sefer Kenyan. Hilchis Avadim, Perik Tes. 
You don't have to go get your Rambams. I'm going to read it to you, but I want you to listen to this Rambam. Okay? The end of Hilchas It's a long halacha Rambam. I want you to listen to two things. His phraseology, his prose, and his message, the song. I want you to hear, hear the musical notes, but also hear the music. Mutter lavet be'evet k'nayni be'perech. You're allowed to work your evet k'nayni with serious labor. Serious labor. On evet ivri, there's a lot of halacha. It's what you're allowed to tell him to do, what you're not allowed to tell him to do. <clears throat> On evet k'nayni, you could, you could give him the serious work that an evet does. Ba'afal pisha ha'dinkach, it's true. Midas chasidis, v'darke ha'chachma, the pious way of living and the wise way of living is be compassionate, pursue justice, do not intensify the burden on your servant, never distress him, feed him, give him drinks from everything that you eat and everything that you drink. The sages would give their evet every dish that they ate themselves. And they would give it first to their servant before themselves. They would have first. They would get first. And he brings proofs from Tehillim. Never, never smack him. Never hit him, not with your hand or with a gesture, like embarrassing, you know, you go like this or like this, or with words. God gave you the right, God gave you the right to use him as somebody who works for you, not as somebody who you can embarrass. Words. God said, Torah says, he can work for you. Nobody ever said he became a victim of your impulses. Here a ter- terminology. Don't scream. Vikas, no anger. Speak nicely, pleasantly. And listen to every complaint he has. An Evid has complaints. He brings proofs from the Tanakh. Cruelty and chutzpah. And obnoxiousness is only found by those particular uncircum- by particular uncircumcised people, Gentiles, who came from cultures where there was cruelty. The seed of Avram Avinu, the Jews who God gave the goodness of Torah and gave them, just laws, they are compassionate on everybody. It's true about God. We're supposed to be like Him. His compassion extends to everything. And when you're compassionate, they have compassion on you. And He brings a postic for that. This is the inclusion of Hilchas <laughs> By the way, this little text of the Rambam, yeah, this was written by the man who's considered the greatest halachic authority in Jewish history. The Rambam, Rabbeinu Moshe ben Maimon, 12th century, Spain, 
Eretz Yisrael, Morocco, Egypt, considered the greatest or one of the greatest halachic authorities in Jewish history, writes these words. You could take this text and say, this is what we're talking about, a non-Jewish slave in a time of slavery. <laughs> now talk about students, talk about children. Yeah, this is an obligatory text. This is for Avdus. La'avdus masorah nakosav eloi labusha. Fascinating, fascinating, extraordinary words of the Rambam. Now, so we had three categories, right? Evet Knaini, you read what he said. Evet Ivri, Amo Ivriya. Now, when you learn this, I'm going to come back to these psukim. A man, and give you, now you'll have perspective. You'll have perspective, okay? Before coronavirus, America was split. Between who? Republicans and Democrats. Every day there was a new war. Impeachment ahead, impeachment ahead. Obama, Trump. Right-wingers, left-wingers. This one was saying he's destroying the country, he's saving the country. Elections, elections, elections. Today we got bigger problems. <laughs> we got bigger problems. So that fight was put on the stove, on, on hold for, a, for some time. Let's hope that in the era after coronavirus, America will be able to learn how to behave nicer to each other, even if you disagree with my politics. Okay, that's a hope and prayer for the world to expand its consciousness and create room for different opinions, even if I disagree with you about who the next president should be. What's the argument between them? Oh, 100,000 arguments. But I want to talk about one aspect in finance. Yeah. The Democrat says, we want equality. We want equality between the rich and the poor. We want equality between those who are successful and those who are not successful. We want equality between those who are graduates of Brown University and Duke University and Stanford University and Harvard University and Yale University and those who grow up in the projects who didn't have all this access, access and opportunity and education and, and sophistication and can't network constantly with, with millionaires and billionaires and, and CEOs and leaders in the business world. We want equal opportunity. So we take from the rich, we distribute it to the poor. And what do the Republicans say? And I know I'm dumbing down the argument. The Republicans say, we have equal opportunity. Everybody can go work. This is America. Everybody can go get a job. Everybody can get an education. Go to your city college. You can climb the ladder and look at X, Y, Z. They have come from poverty-stricken homes and they have risen to the top. Why should we once again, once again, take more hard-earned money from, from me, I am a, an entrepreneur. I'm, I'm running a huge business that I created over 25 years in sweat and blood and tears. Why should you take that away from me? Everybody has equal opportunity. And, and the Democrats are saying, come on. It's still, it's still unfair. Give more equal opportunity. Now, who's really right? Who's right? right? We know that they both have a very important point. And we also know the truth. And the truth is that the real problem is not addressed. <laughs> yes, giving money and, and welfare and helping people and affirmative action, etc. <clears throat> and healthcare, to a certain degree, could be helpful in certain areas. 
But what's one of the key issues that's not addressed? One of the key issues is that some people are destined to be rich and some people are destined to be poor simply because of class, class differences. If I happen to grow up in a very successful family, yeah, I may lose all my money, I may do stupid things, but if I'm being sent to Harvard, my classmates are going to be the future leaders of finance and it just takes me one call to network with some of the biggest business leaders of that generation, it puts me into a different realm. The kid growing up in the project doesn't have that opportunity. That's a fact. And there's no mingling ever. This is what the Torah is addressing. You know why you sell your daughter as a servant? You don't take your daughter and sell her as a servant. God forbid. What does the Rambam say? Chazal say? Because you don't have food to feed your daughter. Your daughter is starving. Your daughter doesn't have a coat to put on in the winter. Your daughter doesn't have a blouse, a skirt to go out with. The Rambam says this. She doesn't have a ksus. You also, nobody has, your whole family. They're starving. They're starving. So what do you do? You want to give your girl some opportunity. She never ended up in your home. She gets nothing. So what do you do? You go to a Jew, a Jew who's successful, and you say, I want my daughter to move into your house and work in your house. She's going to work in your house. And for that, he has to give a lot of money. I don't want her to go out like a slave goes out. How does a slave go out? A slave goes out as a slave. As a slave. I went in and I go out. I don't want her to go out as a slave. I have another agenda. You know what my agenda is? My real agenda is, how should she go out if she doesn't go out as a slave? How? I want her to go out, not as a slave. You know how I want her to go out? I want her to go out as an equal. How is she going to go out as an equal? Only one way. If there's marriage, the father can only sell her if there's a potential. There's a good shidduch over there. Maybe with the guy himself or with his boy. I wanted to go out as a spouse. You know what happens then? Now, you didn't just give money to the poor. You changed the fabric of society. You changed the fabric of community. Suddenly, the poorest family married the rich family. Everything changes. So it's not only you gave them money for the short time. You created a transformation in society. I don't want her to go out as a slave. I want her to go out from slavery as a wife or as a daughter-in-law. That's like a wife. If he doesn't want to marry her, it's not pleasing. Do everything you can to help her go out, which means to get her father money so he could get her back, if possible. If not, not. Don't think you could sell her to somebody else because you own her. You betrayed her. When did he betray her? Because buying a Jewish girl just as a servant is betrayal. What's the betrayal? The betrayal is she's not integrating fully into the family. She's just a maidservant. That's called betrayal. Fascinating. If you want to marry her to your daughter, don't think she's going to be a slave wife. She's a regular Jewish woman. Don't treat her as, she's a slave. She'll slave away. No, no, no. You know what he'll say? Okay, okay. I'll marry her and I'll treat her like a regular wife. But you know what? I'll buy, get a second wife 
And that will be the real wife, and this will be the slave wife. You don't take anything away from her. And if you don't do these three, you're not going to marry her, your son is not going to marry her. It didn't work out because you have to agree. She has to agree. Or your son has to agree. She has to. You can't force her into the marriage. It doesn't happen. Chazal say, when she turns 12 or six years after the sale, she goes out. That's it. Free. So even if this is the way she has bread and clothes and a little education and a nice house and a good bed and a coat and some breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Only six years. When she's 12 years old, she goes. Now we already can trust that she's more independent, that she can figure things out for herself. Her father doesn't have to sell her. So this is an 8-year-old, 9-year-old, 10-year-old, 11-year-old girl who's starving. Tati gives her to a family. They don't want to marry her. That's fine. At some point, she goes out. Now here comes a fascinating halacha that always bothered me. And the halacha is that if the father wants to marry her, what's the halacha? How do you marry a woman? How do you marry a woman? You give her money, right? You give money. If he wants to marry you, does he give her money? What's the halacha? The halacha is, he doesn't give her money. You know why? The Chazal say, the money he gave to buy her, that's the money for her marriage. The money he gave to Tati to buy her, that's the money. Same as with the son. I never understood that. Come on, give her a ring. No, you don't give her a ring. The money I gave Tati five years ago, two years ago, a year ago, that's the money of the marriage. You know the the profoundness of this? And I thank Rabbi David Foreman for this insight, which he made me aware of, made me cognizant of. You know what the insight and the power is? When you marry her, you know which with money it is? It's the money that you bought her as a slave. What does that mean? It means that retroactively, she's considered your wife from when she came into your house. In other words, it's not like I married my slave. No, 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 no. I married my spouse retroactively the money that you pay to get her becomes the money with which you betroth her, the money of Kedushan. So retroactively, she is your spouse. She's an equal. That's called social integration. That's the ultimate way of dealing with the conflict of classes. It's not just screaming there's equal opportunity when there's not. Or screaming, just take the money and give it to them. Republicans are wrong. Democrats are wrong. They each have points. Each have true points. And you have to appreciate each person's point. Sometimes there's too too many extremes. But here you see an ideal of real integration. And the truth is, in Judaism, you have this constantly. Because slaves weren't allowed to work on Shabbos. So the slave and the master both got an aliyah. They both got maftir. They both could sit in Mizrah. And the slave could walk around by the Kiddush with equal freedom. And he could speak to the greatest scholar and the most wealthy person, just like anybody else. Social integration. People don't realize this. The same is true with the institution of Torah. The Rambam says the crown of Kahuna is Levi. The crown of Malchus is David. The crown of Torah is Hefker. It's Munach Lakoil. This complete democracy. We don't say, oh, you're not rich enough to, to learn. Torah was the great equalizer. 
Unfortunately, it doesn't work by everybody. Some people see Torah as the great divider, but essentially the crown of Torah is supposed to be the great equalizer. Okay, Chavri, you with me? Now, now, come back. Now come to Chesidus. Come to this Maimon. And you'll see everything I just said, everything I just said was really a muscle. <laughs> to use the Alter Rebbe's Maimon of Purim, it was just a muscle. Now, I wasn't giving you a marshal. I was talking about law. But I was telling you a marshal. It was all a marshal. What was it a marshal for? It was a marshal for your life. It was a marshal for my life. There's three paradigms. Three paradigms of avdus. Three paradigms of your relationship with God. With your creator. Evet k'nayni, evet ivri, amayivriya. Now, let's remember one more detail that he said in the Maimir, in the difference of the Evet Knaini, Evet Ivri, and Amivriya. The slave usually was sent to go do things outside of the house that the family itself wouldn't do. If you worked for a king or an aristocratic family, they're not going shopping. They're not going to the fields. They're not going to the silos. The Evet did it. He harvested, he brought in the fruits, he brought in the food, he brought in the meat, he brought in the flour, he went to the butcher. He went to the meat market. That's the evet. The um, and it's a respectable thing. It's not a. This is what servants do. This is what workers do. The amayivria. She took the food and she made it edible. The evet ivri doesn't make it edible. He brings it from outside inside. So he takes the raw flour and brings it in the house. He takes the raw meat and he brings it to the house. From the animal, he brings it to the house. But who makes it edible? Who transforms the food? That was usually the job of the Amma Ivriya, the Jewish maidservant who worked in the kitchen in the house, together with the housewife, her mother-in-law, or her, or her, or her, or the person who ran the house, and she makes the food edible. That was practically one of the key differences in the work of an Evid and Amma Ivriya, because you can't give an Amma Ivriya work that's not suitable to her. Remember, with an Evid Ivriya and Amma Ivriya, you have to treat them with tremendous respect. You can't just put her to work like they did in the cotton fields. I don't know, are you familiar with slavery in the United States of America? You guys know about the institution of slavery in the United States of America, in the South. You compare that to the Rambam's words in Hilchis Avodim. You're not allowed to embarrass your slave. You're not allowed to scream at him. You have to listen to his kindness. You have to listen to him. What a contrast. 845-777-4747 for any questions anybody would like to ask. 845-777-4747. You can text your questions. Now let's take this over to the Maimer Matzuzu, Tafresh Ayim Beis Matzuzu, 1912, from the, Reb, from the Rebbe Rashab. Shusa Yogan Aleinu's 100th yard site was last week, Beis Nissen. And let's see how everything we just said is really a marshal. What's the marshal? You get it? So now look, and I want you to see the nuanced... Uh, beauty of this. Evet Knaini, Evet Ivri, Amavri. What's Evet Knaini? So we learned this many times in the Maimer. I'm just going to recap very briefly. Evet Knaini parallels Nefesh. Evet Ivri parallels Ruach. Amavri parallels Neshama. Three dimensions in Avaidus Hashem. The first level is Evet Knaini. What's Evet Knaini? Very practical. My identity does not feel Jewish. I'm bought by a Jew, but I'm not Jewish. How beautiful an idea that often part of Avedis Hashem means I'm not part of this. I don't identify with it. There are so many voices in me 
that are disassociated, that are rebellious. And the Maimah went through many levels. You can be Tavi. Tavi was a special Evid Knaini. Rebbe Gamliel's slave, if you remember, Tavi Avdi. And then there could be much lower levels of Avodim Knaini. But the common denominator is, there is commitment, no inspiration. There is superconscious inspiration, yes, but not conscious inspiration. Superconscious, yes. I'm not going to repeat all the details. You could review the Maimer, and you should review the Maimer, this Pesach, the Maimer, but that's David Knaini. David Ivri, this is a Jew who's inspired. He's a Jewish Evet, meaning my identity is Jewish. What's mean my identity is Jewish? This is about the idea that my inner feelings and emotions are turned on. They're uplifted, they're inspired. And I have a real davening. I could become enthusiastic. I told you there could be a marriage where there's a lot, a lot of inner disassociation, but there's still commitment. Let's face it, in the previous generation, you think every marriage was good? No. But they stayed married for 65 years. Emma's, <laughs> they stayed married. There was a certain commitment. You fought, you argued, you argued, you argued, you argued. There were no therapists in Russia or Poland or Hungary or Lithuania. You stayed married. You stayed married. Was it always Ganadin? No, trust me, it wasn't always Ganadin. I know the good old days were supposed to be perfect, but they were not. They were far from perfect. But you, you stayed in the relationship, both ways. Yeah. Evid Ivri means, no, there's inspiration, there's love, there's romance, there's enthusiasm. There's enthusiasm. But you didn't change your hard drive. You didn't change your hard drive. The Evid Ivri doesn't transform the food. He brings it from the outside and the inside. What is this in therapeutic terms? It's helping people within their nature, within their own paradigm, transforms the food. So the difference between Evid Kneini and Evid Ivri is only location. The difference and uniqueness of an Alma Ivri is transformation. The Evid Kneini, part of him is outside. The Evid Ivri brings the food inside, which means... He manages to inspire his animal soul and his body. He gets excited through his psukhah de zimna, through his methods that the Maimah discusses. But the food was not transformed. The food was brought inside. The animal soul was brought into the wedding, was brought into the chuppah. But my nature remains my nature. I still remain with my identity. It's just you helped me figure out how within that identity I could be more inspired. Neshama, Amma is where real life happens. What, not where real life, where transformation happens. Transformation, the food is not only brought inside, the food becomes a new metzias. It becomes transformed. What is this in a person's life? In a person's life, I could bring the meat from outside, inside, but it's still raw. What does this mean? I'll give you a very, what I think is a very, very able and a very important example. Yeah? It's really the, you, you'll see here, if you get what I'm going to say now, if you get what I'm going to say now, you're going to be moved. <laughs> That's the guarantee. Okay? If you're not moved, it could be for three reasons. Either because you didn't get it, or because I didn't communicate it right, or because I'm wrong. But the third I don't think is true. So it's one of the first two. And that is, you have, you have, you have a person 
He's inspired. But what's Pshat he's inspired? You took the food from outside and you brought it inside. What does it mean you took the food from outside and you brought it inside? You didn't change the food. You didn't do that. The food remains exactly the same. It's just its location changed. You didn't rework the food. What would this be in a, an example of a person? The animal soul and the body are outside and you bring them inside. So what does it mean that you bring them inside? What does this mean in the nimshal? It means, can I find a way of inspiring you so that you feel like you're inside? But what does it mean I'm inspiring you? I'm inspiring you according to your own paradigms. You remain the person who you were yesterday and a year ago and 10 years ago. I just worked with your system. I worked with your system to make your system happy and content with the situation. What's the real issue here? The real issue here is there's no real change. There's no real transformation. There's an Eved Ivri, there's no Om Ivri. So you have a situation where a person hears certain words, or hears certain songs, or hears a certain truth, or hears a vart, and you feel like you're on fire. You're an Eved Ivri, you're on fire. Even your animal soul is on fire. And your body is on fire. And there's an excitement, there's a sensation, and there's an emotion. What did I do? I brought the outside inside. I brought it into Yiddishkeit. I helped your animal soul and your body come in. It sounds great, right? The Evet Kanaini, it's outside. There's rebellion. Here there's no rebellion. It sounds great. It's beautiful. But I'll tell you what I didn't do. What I did not do is, I didn't really touch you. (laughs) I made everything work for you. I made everything pleasing to you. I made everything exciting for you. I did not touch you. And that's why after a few hours, you can go back to where it was before and we have to do it again. The Amevriya takes the food and transforms it. It's now a different food. You become a different person. It's not just I inspire you. Don't inspire me. Inspiring somebody is a very good thing. We try to do it all the time. But you see the limits of it? The limits of it is... I said something, how do I say it? Okay. If I say an insight and people say, wow, that was so inspirational. That's not always a compliment. Why? Because it basically means that I managed to say something that was filtered and accepted by your present condition that it made you feel good. But if it made me feel good, what it basically means is that my me was not challenged. It made me feel good. So yeah, the food was brought inside. The food was brought inside. The Nefesh Bahamas was brought in. The goof was brought in. It's a good davening. They're all part of the enthusiasm. But real transformation happens in the Shama. In, 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 in his achdos. Not in his pilus, but in his achdos. Don't give me, don't give me the inspiration. Give me the bittle. Give me the truth. Give me the transcendence. Take me out of my paradigms to be able to open me up to a, to a real new reality. 
And it's not going to be inspiring as much as it's going to be true. Okay, I explained it to the best I could. Whatever you, whatever you got, you got the nisht is nisht. You have to daven with this mind. You have to learn. You have to daven with it. You have to think about it. You have to meditate on it. You have to reflect on it. Most important thing is you have to let it go into you. <laughs> now look how the halacha and the pnimius is mamish the same. With an evet knayni, are you allowed to work with an evet knayni beforech? Are you allowed to hard? Are you allowed to put a heavy burden on the evet knayni? Yeah. But the Rambam says it's not a good idea. What does this mean in Avoidah? The evet knayni is the part of you that's rebellious, yeah? You could do parach. Remember we spoke about the stick. You could take out a stick. But the Rambam says it's not the way to do it. Listen to his tainas. Speak to him. Feed him. Bring him in. He's an evet. MS, he's an evet. You have the right. To scream. You have the right to do avoid this parak, to do hard labor. But it's not midas chsidas vidaki hachachma. Bring him in. Bring him in. Even as an evet knaini, even as an evet knaini, you have to respect the space he's in and relate to him from a place of compassion. Evet ivri. There's an isur of avoid this parak. There's no avoid this parak in an evet ivri. What is in halacha a rule? in spirituality becomes a law of reality. Did you hear what I said? What in halacha is a rule in spirituality becomes what? Becomes a, is a truth. The laws of halacha are not laws. They're reflections of truth, like laws of physics, laws of science. It's not a law, a constitution. If you don't follow the laws of physics, you're going to prison. It's a reality. The laws of halacha, when you know pnimi yisatayra, what do you gain from learning Pnimi Yisatayra? Without Pnimi Yisatayra, Halacha is law. With Pnimi Yisatayra, Halacha is not law. Halacha is the nature of reality. It's reflecting the nature of reality and guiding your life based on it. When the doctor tells me, don't eat these foods because they're not good for your blood type or for your genetics or for your cholesterol, etc., this is not a law. <laughs> It's a fact of your biological system. You could follow it, you could not follow it. All halacha is that, but only when you understand the DNA of the universe. So halacha says, Amma evit knaini, you could have avoidus perech. You shouldn't, but you could. Evit ivri, you're not allowed to. What is that in chsidis? In evit ivri, there's no avoidus perech. There's excitement, there's inspiration. Where's the hard labor? In evit knaini, there is avoidus perech. Iskaf, you have to break myself. I have to break myself. Evet Knaini, I'm not in the mood. I'm angry. I'm going crazy. I'm climbing walls. I want to scream. I want to get out of here. I don't want to do this. I want to, whatever. I have to do Avoidas Perech. The Rambam says, do it with compassion. <laughs> what about Amevriya? Amevriya, the Nigla, the Halacha, and the Pnimius are completely the same. Why? In the first two cases, you're still essentially in two separate worlds. There is infinity, there is the divine reality, and there's me. There's Evet Knaini, there's Evet Ivri. So you need Chippozah. Lo Yisei says the Zoyar. By Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, they went out as slaves. The Amma Ivriya doesn't go out as a slave. Why? She's supposed to get married. She's not supposed to go out as a slave. I don't want her to go out as a slave. Why? She's a transformed person. First say she's a transformed person. A transformed person means 
She can get married with the master. She can get married with the son's master. She's not treated as an Ummah. I don't want her to go out as an Evid. I want her to go out as a spouse. Whole different reality. A whole different reality here. It's not any more distinctions. A spouse is like you yourself. And if not, you're betraying her. So what's the Amevriya spiritually? The Amevriya is that there's so much kinship. There's so much intimacy. It's not just you're a slave, but you're treated nicely and there's no avoidas perech and you only have six years and you're treated like a master. Not even the definition of a servant anymore. It's a definition of oneness. And that's the difference of nefesh, ruach, and neshama. Haidu, psukah de zimra, and birches krishma, and krishma, shma yisrael, hashem alakeinu, hashem mechot. And here there's a Yerushalmi, the Yerushalmi says that an evid ivri doesn't say krishma. Even though he's mechoyiv in all the mitzvahs, not like an evid knayni, why? Because he can't say hashem alakeinu, hashem mechot, because there's another master over him. He can't experience God's oneness as an evid. An amma ivriyah! is connected to Krishna. An Eved Ivri is connected to Pesukah de Zimra. Nefesh Ruach Neshama. You have also three paths in Yiddishkeit. And Elu Ve'elu. There's the path of Yiddishkeit that's associated very much, some people call it Musr. What's Musr? Musr will often tell you how bad your Midois are and how bad laziness is and arrogance is and no Hakara you have no gratitude and you're complacent and you don't work on yourself and you give in to your Taivas. That's a derech of Musr. That's associated with nefesh. Nefesh. There's the derech of ruach. More inspiration. It's known as chsidus chagas. Chsidus chagas is the various Hasidic masters of the students of the Magid who focused very much on emotional inspiration. A good vart to turn on your soul. Speak about the love of Hashem to the Jewish people. Speak about the nefesh alikis, chelik alikamimal. You speak about the beauty of Torah, the beauty of mitzvahs. Of course, all the three paths are interconnected. Ultimately, Elu Vela Divrel Kim Chaim, it's all part of Torah. But there's still distinctions. But a lot of the early Hasidic masters, a lot of inspiration, a lot of, you know, get to the heart and, and get, get the fire burning. The derech of the Balatanya was Neshama. Moichen, Moichen, Moichen. Not because he didn't want middas, because he wanted middas that are deeply, deeply, not only affected, but have the courage to be opened to infinity. Middas that can be completely aligned with an I that precedes the definition of I. That wasn't supposed to sound too logical. That's Nefesh Ruach Nesham. So the halachas of Amevriya, Evid Knaini, and Evid Ivri, in halacha, parallel the three stages of Evid Knaini, Evid Ivri, and Amevriya in Pnimiyas in the spiritual dimensions. With this whole introduction, yeah. we now take the last few minutes and come to the last shtickle where he answers the first question of the Maimah. So now we're going to do the last paragraph of the Maimah. Page Kuf Ayin Hay. Page Kuf Ayin Hay. The last paragraph. Alpiza Yuvan. If you don't have a source sheet, you can go to the yeshiva.net and go to Thursday morning. Today is Friday morning. Sorry. Fr- Friday morning. Friday morning class. Friday morning class, and you'll see the source sheets. Alpiza Yuvan. 
remember the question? We say in the Haggadah, the reason we eat matzah is why? Because the matzah could not rise. Why couldn't it rise? Because the Jewish people were rushed out of Egypt, so they had to bake the flour and water very, very fast. Because like what I don't understand. Already on the 10th of the month, they were told that you have to have a Seder the night before you'd see a Mitzrayim and you're going to eat matzah at the Seder. Nobody was rushing them. They had to be quarantined in the house till the morning. That's why they ate matzahs. Even if the Mitzvah would have given them a month to leave and they wouldn't rush, they still would have eaten matzah on the night of Pesach. That's why we eat matzah. There's a Mitzvah. Pe'erif toichlu matzahs. Lehispik lehachmet is only the next afternoon. Rabbeinu David Avud Raham, one of the Rishonim, asks this question. Davud Raham says that when Hashem gave the mitzvah to the Jewish people to eat matzahs on the night, it was for the future. Jewish history, it's very deep. Jewish history is different than all other history. What's history? History is always recounting the past. Jewish history is defining the past and the present based on the future. That's Jewish history. We don't define Golos Stam. We define Golos in terms of Gula. We don't study history from the past. We study history from the future. It's a different genre of history. Did you understand what I just said? It's a different genre of history. All history is a study of the past. Jewish history is a study of the future to define and contextualize the past and the present. We don't say Golos, we don't say we're here now, we say it's Golos as a prerequisite to Gula. So Hashem told the Jews to eat matzahs the night of Pesach because he knew that tomorrow they're going to rush and they won't be able to bake bread. So to commemorate that, he already said, eat matzahs the night before. That's Pshat. So what does this mean? This means that the matzah that they were eating at night, what happened? It was because tomorrow they're going to be in a rush. What's the rush? What did we say? What's the rush? The rush is that when you're an Evet and part of you is not interested and not involved, you have to rush. When I'm an addict, when I have a lot of toxicity in me, I have to break myself away. So I don't have time to walk slowly. So I have to eat matzah. I have to get that bread inside of me. I can't wait for the sourdough bread. For the beautiful, beautiful, tasty flavor bread. Matzah is bland. Matzah doesn't have a great taste, with all due respect. It doesn't have the sourdough freshness and flavor. You eat good sourdough bread. Those of you who have good sourdough bread know what I'm talking about. Matzah is fast and bland. It's the chipozen. So the night of Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim, they're still in Mitzrayim. And even tomorrow when they leave, they're going to still be connected to Mitzrayim. So Hashem says... I need you to eat matzah because this is the paradigm of redemption. Matzah zushan Why? 
for the future. Sometimes it says that after midnight, the Ein Saif revealed himself, and that's why they couldn't become Chametz. Because when Ein Saif is here, how could you become Chametz? Here we're explaining the reason they couldn't become Chametz is because they had to rush, they had to leave, they had to, that's why you didn't become Chametz. But if I would stay slow, if I would take it slow, I would become Chametz. You know why? Because there's a lot of Chametz in me. I have to run, I have to rush, I have to throw it into the oven, because if not, I am going to become Chametz. That's the paradigm of an Evet Knaini. The paradigm of an Evet Knaini is, yes, if you stay with these thoughts and these feelings, you're going to become Chametz. You know why? There's a lot of Chametz in you. Throw it in the oven and step into liberation. Step into emancipation, notwithstanding all your skeletons in the closet. I know you got skeletons. I know that. And it's Chametz. And if you stick around, they'll take over. Fight it. Get out. Make it into Matzah. That's why it says, Why can it say, We say in Davening, in Ashrei, your Malchus is the Malchus that extends into all the worlds. The Malchus Malchus is not Malchuscha. There's Malchuscha and there's Malchus Kalaylam. Malchus Kalaylamim is the divine energy that sustains all of the lower worlds and levels of consciousness. Malchuscha is your infinite Malchus. There's Malchus Kalaylamim which fills the worlds and there's Malchuscha. Malchuscha is the divine energy, the way it's still in its source, not filtered. Before creation, he and his name were alone, meaning his name, which is his outer energy that comes into the world, which is called a name, because a name is the way you're defined by others. That name was submerged in its source as an aspect of infinity. That's Malchuscha. And then there's Malchuscha, Malchus Kalaylamim, Zauksha Malchus Dein Saif, Meyibah Malchus Datsilus. When Malchus of Ein Saif is manifested in Malchus of Atsilus and becomes a source for Bri Yitzir that's Malchus Kalaylamim. So the revelation of Pesach was Melech, Malche Hamalachim, the Melech Ukesse, or Malche Uchachmo Bine, or Malachim Malchus. You see, Melech is the Kesem. Malchei, the king over kings, is Chachman Bina. Melachim is Zayn Malchus. And this is Melech Malchem Lachem. Levisha'ein Eirak Bepchines Chitzayni Yisayin Soif. Eirin Soif Alkein Humeir Besedir Shtalshlus the Chachmo Bina Vizo Malchus. This is the way Malchus is manifested in the structure of the cosmos. And therefore, it gives room for Chametz. It gives room for Chametz. The reason it didn't become chametz is not because essentially you're transformed. No. 
On the contrary, the revelation comes from a more external place. And that's why it reaches you in your external space. Not from the Pnimius and the Atzmius. It's the external element of Ein Saif, which is Melech Malchem Lachem. So it has to be communicated through the evolutionary structure of Ishtalsulos. And therefore you have to rush out of your exile. Why? Because since the divine inspiration and energy was filtered through the channels of all of the worlds, so it's filtered and compressed and concealed, so therefore it gives room for alienation, it gives room for disassociation, it gives room for slavery. And I have to tackle Tackle the Mitzrayim in me and extricate myself from it. Why? Because if you're going to stay cool and stay relaxed, the Chametz can take over. You will become Chametz because it's there. Therefore, you have to rush because you're dealing with the Ein Soiv, the way it works through the channels of Ishtalshulis. And over there, you have to pay tribute to every aspect of your identity. And there's no ability for transformation now. The matzah that we're eating, which was commanded before Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, is because that's the state of liberation commemorated by Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. There could be a lot of dirt inside, and I could still go free. As Jewish history evolves from Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim till today, and you stand before Bias HaMashiach, the future, Oz Habir. This thousands of years of work creates the ability for ultimate refinement. That toxicity and negativity can become completely transformed. Like we spoke, not only Nefesh, but Ruach. And not only Ruach, but Neshama. Not only Eved Ivri, but not only Eved Kleini, but Eved Ivri, and ultimately Om Ivriyah, So the Navi says in Yeshaya, Loi b'chipozen te'latzeyu. You're not going to leave Golos in haste. O b'menusa loi se'leichen chuli. And you're not going to flee from exile. You're not going to have to flee from anything and anywhere. You know why? Because the complete oneness will be revealed. When the truth of Ein Saif comes out, which is what Moichen is, not the Bechein, not the moichin of Midas, the moichin be'etzen, the truth, the ultimate truth of Ein Soif, then your animal soul is part of it. Your body is part of it. Everything is part of infinity. There's no part of you that's broken. There's no part of you that's toxic. There's no part of you that's alien. The infinity within your totality becomes one. If it becomes one, you don't have to run away from anything. You don't have to extricate yourself from anything. It becomes a complete holistic, unifying experience. That's the vision of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim versus the future Geula. And in a person's life, both are very real. In fact, the halach is, we say in the Haggadah, that even when Mashiach comes, we're going to mention Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. Why are we going to mention Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim? Because there's a special beauty in Evet Knaini. There's a special beauty in being an Evet Knaini. Something very, very special. Yeah, I'm full of craziness and insanity, and I could still step out into freedom. I could step into freedom. I'm filled with maybe mental illness or depression or anxiety 
or toxicity or promiscuity or trauma. And I still don't have to become chametz. I still don't have to become sour. Sour, chametz, sour dog. I could go into Geula. Even when Mashiach comes, we're going to mention Yitzhiyah's Mitzrayim. Lahavi lemaisa Mashiach. Kol Mashiach. But the ultimate paradigm of Mashiach is not anymore Yitzhiyah's Mitzrayim. The ultimate paradigm of Mashiach is, it's not that you're sick, but you could behave as though you're healthy because really you're healthy. No. The paradigm of Mashiach, the paradigm of Gula is you're good, you're wholesome, you're infinite. There's oneness in everything. When you touch the Ein Saif, that's beyond Midas, that's beyond the I that is projected on me through my own identity. What's Midas? What's Midas? Here a definition of Midas. Definition of Midas is the I, the I, that I define myself by based on the projections of who I am based on my experience of self. That's Midas. Am I right? That's what Midas are. No, it keeps me separate. When my Midas could become part of Moichim, of truth, of complete infinity, then there's no brokenness anymore. You're a redeemed person. You're a liberated person. You don't light a candle, you step into the sun. My dearest friends, I'm just going to read a few questions and we will will wish each other good Shabbos. Okay, just going to read this and do this swiftly. And then I want to just make an important uh, suggestion to you. There was one time in the Midbar where someone cursed Moshe and they locked him up overnight until Hashem said he should get Skila. That is true. But prison was never a long-term solution. The Gemara speaks about, the Mishnah speaks about different situations where they would imprison somebody who would run away and he was a suspected murderer, but it was never a long-term solution. It was for a night, for a day, a few days. Which Perik in Rambam? Rambam, the end of Hilchis Avodim. Hilchis Avodim, Perik Tes, Halacha Ches. Our lives will be so empty and chaotic, and never mind our state of mind at these trying times without the wisdom of the Torah. Thank you, Hashem, and thank you for giving us such brilliant scholars to teach us. Last but not least, okay, is this going to be a whole eulogy? Last but not least, thank you, Rabbi Weber, for your brilliant insights and giving us strength. I'm still trying to comprehend the fact because I am considered high risk. I will be having the Seder alone, although my children are walking distance from me. This is part of Hashem's will. Okay. The Evid Ivri is changed, but only temporarily, as long as the teacher is there, as long as the force applied continues. The Ame Ivri is changed permanently, even when the teacher leaves. Yeah, she's a married woman, she's a wife. So long as you blow into the balloon, it's blowing up. If you don't tie it up, permanent change, the air goes out and the balloon deflates as soon as the blower stops. Very nice. Why is the girl called a servant if she's actually an equal? And why would someone want to have her as a servant? No, because she comes to work. And if you don't marry her, she works, and then she goes free. So you're not obligated to marry her, and she's not obligated to marry you. By Boyi B'Shalom, when we sing with more inspiration, is this the level of Ruach, inspiration, Eved Ivri? I don't know where you're holding by Boyi B'Shalom, but it could be very well. Remember, Eved Ivri also has a million levels. And Eved Ivri doesn't mean that you're a fantasyar, you're a fantasizer. You're screaming, Oh no, Hashem HaShiyah, And you know what? You're just trying to make... To force yourself. Okay, you have to acknowledge if you're an Evid Kmani and Evid Ivri. Evid Ivri is genuine inspiration, which is natural. It's not 
you know, pinching my cheeks and making believe I'm happy. Please give us a marshal of going out of inspiration to transformation from Ebedivri to Neshama so we can grasp this concept of ultimate change. I know you may just say it. The point that the me is inspired, how does one deliver messages with a bit of truth? But no, the me as I am in my current state should be tuned in and interested to hear. Ay, 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 ay. That's a good question. That's an honest question. How do you inspire me, Rabbi Waiwai, in a way that I should be interested, but you should still give me bittle and truth? You want the cake and you want to eat it too. What should I tell you? What I would suggest to you is, what I would suggest to you is, you know, these things are not understood in one shiit. It's not really one marshal that I'll give or won't give. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. Over, over the last few years, we had the schus to learn together many, many maimarim of the Balatanya and other, other texts of chassidus, mainly the Balatanya. We learned from the Tzamech Tzedek. We learned from the Rebbe Rashab. We learned uh, sometimes from other svarim. And there, most of them are archived on the yeshiva.net. You have it on the Parshish. You have on Pesach, a lot of my morim that we did. There's now going to be a, a, a few days before Pesach, the Pesach, it's Kedai to spend your morning or any time of the day that you have. And you could take a maimer that we learned. You could take this maimer and review it or take other maimerim and learn it. Learn it, think about it, daven with it, reflect on it, share it with others, let it penetrate you. It's very, very important time now for deep internal avoid and transformation. Not just on a level of nefesh, not just on a level of ruach, but also neshama. And even though all of us associate ourselves with avodim knainim, but everyone has a spark of evadivri, everybody has a spark of amevriya, because your soul is rooted in every single truth, on every level, nefesh, ruach, neshama. And yet we fluctuate, and that's also fine. We fluctuate. But I want to encourage everybody to take the time and make sure that you spend some time every day davening, a real davening, and spending some time learning, if you could, with your children, or with grandchildren, or with yourself, or with your wife. You could make, today, sometimes your wife has to be a chavrusa, or your husband has to be a chavrusa. I know a lot of women are listening, so make uh, get your husband to learn. Learn with your husband. Tell him, I want a chavrusa with you. Number one. Number two, I want to just announce that Sunday, 2 o'clock, we're going to have a Yiddish program for children. Yiddish. Okay, usually we speak in English, but we're going to have, there were so many requests. So Sunday, 2 o'clock, if you want to enhance your Yiddish a little bit, or you want to have a good time. So Sunday, 2 o'clock, children, Yiddish. They can also ask all their questions, and uh, that's going to be on the yeshiva.net. Sunday at 4, English. Sunday at 4, English program for children. Sunday, 9 o'clock in the evening, we're going to have a special pre-Pesach presentation, Sunday, 9 o'clock. So that's Sunday, 2 o'clock for Yiddish children program, 4 o'clock English children, and 9 o'clock, there'll be a law, a law, everything will be live, a live lecture for all, and all will be on the yeshiva.net. I also want to make one final suggestion to all my dear friends who are here with us and students, since this is our last Chassidus uh, morning shear before Pesach, it seems, that these are very, very loaded days, very loaded days. And I want to make a suggestion to you that I have found for myself to be transformative. And that is everybody is busy. You have families to run. You have Pesach to prepare for. You have things to worry about and be anxious about and so on and so forth. You have families to look after. You have parents. Some of them are aging. 
you have Zooms, and the most important thing is you have 29 trillion WhatsApps a day, the same number as blood red cells in your body, just to give a marshal. The same number of blood red cells is WhatsApp, and the truth is WhatsApp may be more the way it seems by me. I want to suggest with love to everybody to take a few minutes during your day, take a telephone, and call every single day three people, three people who you know can use the inspiration. A widow, a widower, orphans, people who are alone without family, um, old friends, new friends, people in your community, even strangers, but you happen to have their number, but you would call them a stranger. Call them, tell them, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. I want to know how you are. If you need anything, if I could be of help to you, try to do three calls a day. Could be secular Jews that you bumped into. Could be a doctor, a nurse, a dentist, a foot doctor, somebody you know, an employer, an employee, a partner, an old investor, an old colleague, an old neighbor, an old assistant, a far relative, your third cousin once removed, or somebody down the block, or somebody in your building, or somebody who lives on the next block, or or your nephew, or your great uncle, or your great aunt. Call them three calls a day to people who are lonely, to people who are vulnerable, and even if they're not lonely and vulnerable, everybody today is lonely and vulnerable. This would be my suggestion to all of you, because in such a time, we go into survival mode. Everyone needs to survive, and we got it. I got that. You all, we all have to survive. But it's very important to also go into transcendence mode, to divine mode, to infinity mode, to mode of largeness, of, of leadership. When you're a leader, a commander in war, you can't go into survival mode. You got, got to go into leadership mode. We need to go into leadership mode. We're, survival mode is not the way to deal. You do what you have to do. You need food. You have to take care of yourself, quarantine, etc. Lock the door. But wear gloves, wash your hands, but go into leadership mode. And part of leadership mode is that you become a beacon of hope, of light, of inspiration, and of healing for people. And this I talk to you from heart to heart as a brother to brother and a brother to sisters. In times of crisis, you either become broken and hysterical, or you become the greatest person you have ever become. This is not the time to surrender to fears and skeletons. This is a time to display leadership. Allow your deepest recesses to emerge. And when they do emerge, you become a beacon of hope, of light. Not because you're naive, and not because you're dumb, and not because you don't cry for all the deaths and all the tragedies. Not at all. There's a lot, a lot of pain that we're all dealing with. Some more and some less, but everybody's dealing with pain. But it's rising to the occasion, seizing the moment, and seizing the moment first and foremost means becoming a source of empowerment, love, wisdom, healing, and inspiration. And the most practical way to begin this is, of course, with yourself and your family, but take a phone and reach out to three people a day outside of your immediate family, your mother, your father, your, your, your wife, your sister, your brother, outside of them. I hope you're calling your brothers and sisters and nephews and nieces, but outside of them and 
reach out to them. I love you. I bless you. May Hashem bring a refuah shleimah to all those who need it, and a refuah shleimah to all of our people, and a refuah shleimah to the world. Have a beautiful, beautiful, meaningful, inspiring, healthy Shabbos. For those of you who I don't see personally, Akasher and Afrelech and Pesach, I hope you'll still see me. You won't have a choice. There's going to be a couple of WhatsApps that will probably uh, end up. So you'll probably see a little more of my face. And uh, may we be able to celebrate together. May we be able to uh, find our deepest truths together. And may the new dawn that descends upon this world not only be a dawn of physical healing, but a dawn of physical healing and spiritual healing and complete redemption. Thank you. We're now going to continue with our Gemara Shir and have a beautiful, healthy day and a beautiful and inspiring Shabbos Hagadol. Shabbos Hagadol means the Shabbos when you become great. Shabbos Hagadol, you like my interpretation? Shabbos Hagadol means the Shabbos when you have to become when you have to become great and a extraordinary and liberating Pesach Lanu Ulechal Yisrael into the whole world should be not only Yitzias Mitzrayim but the real Geula without Chipazim and without running away, without the need to be quarantined. Thank you. I'm just going to read the last questions, and then we'll move on. The last question is, if the Gili is much higher in the future, why does it say, Excellent. Excellent. Good question. The answer is, because without Eskafia, you don't get to Eshapcha. Without Evet Knaini, you don't get to Evet Ivri, you don't get to If you jump into Ami Ivriya, you're left with nothing. If you jump into Evet Knaini, you're left with nothing. Only because you had the courage to make space for what Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is, can you then with compassion reach a place of Evet Ivri and a place of Ami Ivriya, which is why you shouldn't be frustrated when you're an Evet Knaini. What exactly are the steps to achieve this level? We spoke about his Bainanus, Psukadazimrebechishma. What exactly does that mean? How do we do that? The last paragraph seems especially pertinent to today's Shir, the Ingen of Amaivriya. Haskala versus Avaida. You want the Avaida, not only the Haskala. Okay, listen. This is our work and this is our Avaida. And yet the main thing is the Avaida of it, not the Haskala of it. Okay, Chavre, we're going to switch now to the Gemara Shir. Have a beautiful day and a beautiful Shabbos. My love and blessings to you and all of us and all of your loved ones. Bye-bye. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.